from Gosong Village on Jeju Island, this is the Korea File, a weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the peninsula. I'm Andre Goulet. On this episode, called to service with the American Peace Corps in Mali, West Africa, she's now a public school teacher in Jeju City. Comparing and contrasting the two experiences, this is Maria Denise in conversation. <laughs> What's the Peace Corps of people who've never heard of? So it's a government program, but it's separate from the government a little bit. It has a bit of autonomy in itself, um, but it has has government funds. Um, And they take volunteers from all ages, pretty much, I think, between 18 up to any age. Um, But they prefer people with a degree. So... Um, they take volunteers who are willing to go anywhere and do whatever um, skill or service is needed there. Well, can you give me any of the history of it? Um, when did it begin? Gosh, I'm going to get this all wrong, but I'm going to give you a <laughs> It started in the 60s by President Kennedy, and he made some speech, I think, at the University of Michigan where he said... You know, the famous line, it's, think not what your country can do for you, but what can you do for your country? And a lot of people took that to heart, and um, I think Shriver was his name? Yeah, Sergeant Shriver. Yes, he um, got together and started this Peace Corps with the idea that uh, it would be like, I think the idea was it would be some kind of like soft power, like diplomacy, Here's Americans doing good. I think we were up to some shady shit at the time, <laughs> so we were trying to like counterbalance that with some like positive development types type of things. So the first volunteers, I think it was like only sixty people, and they went to one country. I can't remember what the first country was, um, but the the idea behind it is that it's a people-to-people type of initiative where you're bringing mutual understanding, cultural exchange, and just friendship to other countries to put, like, the best face of America forward so that it's not just this um, materialistic, capitalist country that's all about imperialism kind of thing. I think that's what they were trying to counterbalance. So you're right, it's a soft it was a soft power initiative. I think so, yeah. At a time when that sort of thing didn't really exist. Right. And in the Cold War era when you're trying to influence uh, right. other countries in a positive way. Right. Where did you go for your Peace Corps experience? I went to Mali. Which is, um, it's in Africa, where in Africa? West Africa, above Cote d'Ivoire and below Niger, I believe. Mm. Near Mauritania in that area. How long were you there? For 10 months. I was slated to do 27 months, but then there was a military coup, so we had to be evacuated. Right. Uh, when was this that you were there? From June of 2011 until I think we left April 2012. So why Mali in specific, like specifically? Why mm. was that? Why did you choose that, or did the Peace Corps place you there? So before, uh, I think they have different procedures now, but before you could choose. Um, to be sent anywhere in a specific region. You could uh, set a region as your preference, um, but no certain job as your preference, or you could set your a certain job preference 
and say you would be willing to go anywhere. So I said I would be willing to do whatever the country needed me to do, but I wanted to be in sub-Saharan Africa um, because I had done my study abroad in Ghana, and that's when I like fell in love with sub-Saharan Africa. So I wanted to go back there again. So I wanted to ask generally why you decided to go, and mm-hmm. it was out of a sense of service? Yeah, um, I really wanted to put a different face to volunteers because my experience abroad, especially volunteering abroad, was always uh, kind of the same story. How so? That it was always either middle class or upper class white Americans who were volunteering and I rarely ever saw any people of color volunteering, especially internationally. And for me, um, I just didn't feel like that was a narrative that I wanted to continue because I was interacting with people in these different countries who still had this idea that of like a white savior. And I wanted them to know that there were other people of color around the world who cared about them and who wanted to um, help them as much as possible. Tell me about your study abroad in Ghana. Um, It was great. It was my, well, I was going to say my first experience abroad, but that's not true. What was your first experience abroad? Uh, I did a summer program in Paris, and that was amazing. I made really good friends. But Ghana was amazing because it was the first developing country that I had been to and had lived in. And I tried as much as possible to uh, integrate into the culture and meet like local people. And it really changed my experience of travel and how I experienced the country. And that's Like I said, that's what made me fall in love with West Africa because the people were so nice and... I just love the experience of discovering so many new things about the way the rest of the world lives, and it helped me discover things about myself. I mean, I was like 20 at the time, so I'm still, you know, discovering myself, but I think it really helped put some of my ideals into perspective. So you're 20 in Ghana, and how old in Mali? Uh, Maybe 24. Okay. What was Mali like? Um, Mali is so many things. It's um, dry in many areas, but then also um, like lush in other areas. Not super lush. There weren't any like tropical areas really, but um, the people are really friendly. Mali's really poor, but the people have like a very rich history and culture and Um, part of that is a joking culture. They have these joking cousins. And so automatically when you get there, you get a Malian name and you get a last name, your family name. And it helps ease your interactions with people because if your last name is Kulabali and you meet Akeda, then you automatically say like, you're a donkey, you eat beans, and it's all jokingly, but it helps break the ice and you feel like you know this person within five minutes of meeting them. And that was the thing about Molly that I really loved was that the people were just like so quick to laughter and so quick to 
bringing you into their family, which is interesting because here in Korea, people are like, oh, it's such a communal society. Um, but I felt as though breaking into the community to be part of that communal atmosphere is a little harder here than in Mali, like within like two or three hellos, you're part of the family, come sit down, eat with us, like. What's your, what's your Malian name? Aminata Sanago. Yeah. So what are the Sanagos known for? Mm, the Sanagos aren't as big as the rest of the um, the last names there. The only thing really now that we're big for, because we're not a Bambara-speaking people, whereas the Kulavalis, the Ketas, they speak um, Bambara. The Sanagos speak Sinopho, so they're kind of a smaller minority in Mali. But now we're famous because it was Asanago who um, launched the military coup. So now we're, we're infamous. <laughs> you said it's a developing country, so give mm-hmm. me a sense of what that means. Do you, do you have any idea of the income per capita approximately? Mm, it's pretty low. I think on the GDP list, it's like way, way, way at the bottom of, of the countries. I don't know the exact number, but... It's pretty poor, which I was surprised because uh, after I finished doing Peace Corps Mali, I went to Liberia, and I thought that it was really, really poor. Mm. Um, but their GDP was higher than Mali, so. Okay. Basic, uh, basic economic sources out of, out of Mali? Um, farming, mainly farming. For export? For export, maybe mining, I think. Mining is booming there. Um, but I don't think there's a big export of things from Mali other than, yeah. Okay. Back to the Peace Corps for a second. Um, what kind of people do you think are motivated to join? You talked about service Mm -hmm. and your specific motivation to have different faces seen, uh, Mm -hmm. representing the Peace Corps abroad. Mm -hmm. So what other kind of people did you meet who were participating? Tell me about your colleagues. Um, I met people that were like just out of college and they wanted something else to do almost like a gap year or they weren't sure about the next step it was a wide wide range of people I would say mainly young people just out of college or we had some older volunteers as well not as many but a few like retirees that came a couple of um, like young married couples also did it Um, I think most people are either motivated by a desire to travel to volunteer or to just do something out of the ordinary they wanted it and the you know the adventure of a lifetime you mentioned molly's political situation uh you were there for the coup mm-hmm. how did that play out uh did that it just happened and then they had to airlift you out or was did they anticipate it and get you out early um so the security measures there are really, really good. Peace Corps takes the volunteer security really seriously. So we have like protocols set up and we even have drills and practice before anything ever happens. Um, and so we have these different uh, colors, like a code red, code orange, code yellow. And so basically what we did is they, uh, after the military coup, they weren't sure you know, what the situation was gonna be because they've had some Um, political unrest and even some violence in the past but they never shut down the Peace Corps program it had been going in Mali for 40 years so uh, 
after the military coup, I think things were a little bit just quiet for about two days, and then they decided to consolidate us. So each uh, region consolidated its volunteers uh, into the regional houses. So we were pretty much on, like, lockdown. Actually, sorry, no, after the military coup, we were on lockdown, so you were told you couldn't travel, you had to stay in your village. So I had a friend visiting me, and she was frustrated because she didn't have, like, much of anything and she couldn't go back to her village she had to stay with me and then travel into the regional capital where we were consolidated and then from consolidation it's just kind of like they want us all together to make sure we're safe and from there we would receive further instructions whether we could go back or if like the next step would be evacuation so we're consolidated for about two weeks in a house with like 30 other volunteers losing our minds. We couldn't travel or go anywhere, or a lot of people couldn't go back to the village. So I think towards the end of the two weeks, we're just like, you know, what's going to happen? You guys need to make a decision. And I think they were still trying to figure out, like, kind of watch and see what would happen in Mali. How far away were you from the capital? Probably about six hours away, six hours by bus away. So there were some volunteers consolidated in the capital, and I think for them, the experience was a lot different. Where I was in Sakaso, down in the very southern part of Mali, there were a few protests, like some burning of tires in the street, but for the most part, I didn't, like, I never felt fearful or anything like that. The regional coordinator told us what areas to kind of stick to, what days, like, oh, no, you can't go to the market today because there's supposed to be a protest, you know, everyone stay near the house. But I think for the people in Bamako, uh, in the capital, it was different. Like, they heard gunshots and stuff at night. So some volunteers, you know, they reported they, they're experiencing PTSD still. So I'm grateful that I didn't have that same experience. Mm. Um, we were just going crazy because... All of his volunteers were in yeah. the house together. Well, how, what did you do to pass time? Oh my gosh, I, I don't know. We just like, you know, would drink. The first, yeah, we would drink a lot and we would play games, watch some movies together, cook. We did cook nights a lot. We would make a lot of big family dinners, and that was really fun. Um, and then one day we did like a big Olympics, like a field day, and that was really fun as well. So it was kind of heartwarming because I thought, well, if we don't get evacuated, we go back to our villages. Like I've met all these, like gotten to really know all these different volunteers here um, because we felt like a big family at that point. Had you previously gone through an orientation period with these people? I did, but with my intake of people, and we call them stages. So my intake was only about... 20 people it was real small and I think there were about 150 volunteers in the country at the time so the people in my region I think it was about maybe 30 people so they had been there for varying amounts of time for like either six months or a year or almost about to finish their service or some like fresh brand new people that have only been there for like three months who staged the coup um it was soldiers who they were unhappy with how uh, the military operations and how the government was operating in the north because there was still some rebel some rebellions in the north that the government was trying to come you know keep peace with, but the soldiers felt like they weren't being paid or they didn't have they weren't well armed they weren't getting 
the shoes they needed or the um, weapons that they needed. So they thought, no, we know how to run this better than the government. So it so wasn't an ideological coup? No, it was it was really just kind of like an amateur, like six boys got together and it was, and it was also ridiculous because even when you saw it on TV, they took over like the TV and the radio and the airwaves and everything, and they're on the TV speaking in like broken French and broken English, saying, you know, we run the government now, and then you see him like stumbling over his words, and someone's cell phone is ringing, and it just looks so like unintimidating like unprofessional everybody just thought it was who's intimidated by an amateur coup doesn't make no, sense no nobody nobody really was um you say for 40 years the peace corps have mm-hmm. been operational in mali that's a long time yeah it was i think the long uh if not the longest running one of the longest running peace corps um programs in the world has there been results in your view yeah i mean peace corps mali I think even at the time, but definitely after we closed our program, um, a lot of the language instructors and program coordinators, they would go to other Peace Corps countries and train those uh, coordinators there and the, the, the language instructors because our program was so good. I think we had one of the best language programs in Peace Corps. So a lot of our people went and trained the other um program leaders. How many Peace Corps people are operational at any given time around the world? I think it varies. It fluctuates a lot because, I mean, the world is kind of a chaotic place, so there's programs opening, reopening, closing all the time. I think, I don't I don't know the numbers, but I think maybe at the most they might have had... 70 countries running at one time and you know so this is eight or nine thousand people 15,000 people I wouldn't be able to tell you I don't know I think I mean I think it's a lot okay yeah just to kind of put a number on it because thinking about the amount of American military who are operational in different countries Mm -hmm. around the world where it's also a sort of keeping of the peace um, Mm -hmm. in a way Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm wondering why the Peace Corps doesn't get as much press as uh, American military mm-hmm. uh, installations around the world? Mm. I don't know. That's a good question because I have no idea. I don't think what Peace Corps volunteers are doing has as big of an impact or the results aren't as um, tangible, I guess, mm. because we've been working so much on really uh, leadership training, empowerment, and sustainable development to where not a lot of people are building monuments so much. So I guess if like a Peace Corps volunteer built a hospital, it might be, you know, international news. But I think a lot of it is like teaching some six-year-old how to read you know I don't think it's something that is as newsworthy but Mm. still really good work you know in the long run intangible might be the key word yeah interesting I mean not all there are some projects where you know people build wells Mm. or but Peace Corps philosophy isn't really to build monuments or do like grandiose 
kind of things. We don't even really have the money for it. Mm. Um, I think it's really more about the cultural exchange, the mutual understanding type of thing, which that's not really, that doesn't sell newspapers. That <laughs> doesn't get clicks. So, Let me ask you how long you've been on Jeju. For eight months now, we're reaching the eight month first, mark. First time in Korea? Yes. So why did you come here? Um, I came to Korea because of the reputation. You can teach English in so many countries, but you hear a lot of horror stories as well. And though there still are some in Korea, there were a lot less in mm -hmm. Korea. I felt like the education system here was a lot more reputable than other countries. Had You had taught in Mali? Yes. Okay. Um, were you attracted by the benefits? Yes, I was attracted by the benefits as well, yeah. So what kind of people here have you met? Tell me about the expat community on Jeju. Oh boy, on Jeju Island. <laughs> or in your adventures into Seoul or whatever. Um, uh, I, I think that if I were to compare my experience uh, interacting with people in, in Peace Corps versus English teachers here in Korea, it's definitely a different mindset. I don't know if there are a lot of people that come here for like altruistic reasons. I think it's more motivated by like financial gain. So um, that mindset in itself, it's completely different. Um, the community is small here, but it's, I don't know, it feels either, it feels kind of cutthroat-ish, mm. you know? Like, also. Um, I think it, there's not as much support or camaraderie in the expat community. I think for me, what I've experienced, just me personally, is um, more of a, you get your own bearings, you earn your stripes, and then you can say you're as badass as us who have been here for a while that kind of thing whereas in Peace Corps it was like someone was there to take you under their wing take you to market shoot you around help you get your stuff set up it was kind of more um, a shadowing let me show you how this is all done do Peace Corps people and your experience with colleagues here in Jeju do they share anything in common? Mm. Lots of heavy drinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and almost, you know, there's definitely times where you can depend on the expat community here to vent, mm. which was really nice in Peace Corps because there were days that you just had culture clashes and uh, culture shock and adjustments and you were just not understanding the new country you're in right. and I think that the expat community here are really supportive in that sense that you can vent and rant with each other. Less so in the Peace Corps? Um, no, definitely I think they're about the same okay. in, in that sense um, which is really nice. You want somebody who can kind of, who can understand what you're going through and offer if you want some problem solving or advice. 
So how about the experience that you had in terms of the people you've met, Koreans, mm-hmm. Malians, uh, do the two cultures share anything in common? Mm, I would say the f- sharing of the food aspect is, is similar. It's not to the same degree. In Korea, I think, you know, there's a few main dishes and side dishes on the table and everyone takes their chopsticks and grabs from the same bowl mm. in that sense. Uh, whereas in Mali, it's like you are hand-in-hand hand eating out of the same bowl, mm. that kind of. So it's intimate here uh, in the community, but I felt it was even more intimate in Mali. What kind of culture shock have you had here? And what kind of culture shock did you go through in Mali? And are either of those uh, similar kinds of culture shocks? Um, here, the hierarchy, it was a definite culture shock for me because um, a lot of times you have to just do things, even if it doesn't make sense, out of respect for your elders or whoever is your senior. Um, definitely have to respect, respect seniority. Whereas in Mali, it was kind of the same way, but there was a higher regard for men in the, in, in the culture, so uh, that was difficult for me. But in Mali, I was kind of this third gender, so I didn't always have to play by the rules. Are so you a third gender? Nice. Well, it wasn't quite female, it wasn't quite male. Um, I had more f- freedoms than a Malian female, but I didn't quite have the same respect as a male, especially if there was another male Peace Corps volunteer. They would always defer to him rather than to me. So I wouldn't have to sit with the women. and I could possibly sit with the men if I wanted to, whereas a Mali woman would never be able to do that. How did you deal with that kind of complication? Um, you just, you, you respect the culture. You just realize that this is I'm living here and this is the way that these that this country and this society has lived for so long and I may feel differently you try not to take a superiority complex like these people have no idea what they're doing and women should be doing this you just try to respectfully observe and realize that you're an outsider and that um, your ideals aren't always going to to match but you just try to be respectful. So as many times as I could be respectful, I was. But if I was able to get away with something, then, you know, I would try it. I always defer to my uh, counterpart who would tell me, like, if it was okay, if it wasn't okay. So are you enjoying your time on Jeju? I am. It's, I think I'm out of the honeymoon period now. Um, but I'm definitely enjoying it. There's so much to see and do on Jeju Island, which I didn't, I'm surprised because I thought it's a tiny, isolated island. But there's so much to do and see, and it changes with each season. So I feel like there's so much for me to look forward to as time goes by. So many different festivals and customs that I get to experience. So I'm really looking forward to the summer. rest of spring and yeah. summer, yeah. How long are you going to stay here? Two years. A total of two years. Maria's a public school teacher Wait, in Jeju. Wait, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> am I supposed to say anything at the end? Maria's okay. a public school teacher in Jeju City and a former member of the Peace Corps. Thanks for talking with the Korea File today. No problem. <laughs> My pleasure.
Episodes of The Korea File every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, and as a feature contributor at blogtalkradio.org. Tune in next week for an interview and live performance with weirdo guitar and drum duo Henry Demos. From Gosan Village on Jeju Island, I'm Andre Goulet.